It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. My original intention was to give three arguments for the existence of God. One, a cosmological argument regarding the beginning of the cosmos. Two, a teleological argument regarding fine-tuning that designs the universe for life. And three, a moral argument regarding values and duties. In the last episode, I ended up by giving a proof that the first cause of the universe was identical to the God of the Bible. So now I do not need to give the arguments two and three to solidify the argument in one. I have proven one. That was the Kalam argument. I then appealed to several people, including the great mathematician David Hilbert to conclude there is no actual infinities. From this, I was able to conclude that there was no infinite regress of causes of the universe, and so there had to be a first cause. Many debate over what or who is the first cause. Some people wonder if God is the first cause. To answer that question, I went beyond the Kalam argument to give some clues to the nature of that first cause of the universe. I was able to discover 18 key attributes of this first cause. Let me review my list of these 18 attributes. The first cause of the universe is, one, spaceless or omnipresent, two, timeless or not temporal, so eternal. Three, immaterial or spiritual, and not natural, or four, supernatural. And five, transcendent over the universe, space, time, matter, etc. Six, a personal being with seven, freedom of the will, who can do what he decides to do. Thus, since the effect of the universe exhibits power expended and complexity, I conclude that the cause of the universe must also be eight extremely powerful, nine supremely intelligent, and abundant in ten knowledge. Later I showed that, in fact, since the first cause of the universe is infinite, then any attribute it has must be infinite as well. So then we will be able to conclude that this first cause is all-powerful, omnipotent, all-intelligent, and all-knowing. The first cause is also 11, uncaused, and 12, limitless, that is, infinite in every attribute it possesses. 
This follows because everything caused is limited and everything uncaused is unlimited since there is no cause to limit it to what it is actually. 13. The first cause is independent because it does not depend on anything else for its existence. What is more, independent existence cannot not exist. This is the usual meaning of necessary in philosophy. So the first cause of the universe is 14, necessary, or exist necessarily. I also showed that necessary and uncaused are logically equivalent. Moreover, our necessary existence is 15, non-contingent, because contingent is dependent on circumstances outside itself. We know that necessary is the opposite of contingent. Therefore, I can conclude that necessary means it is non-contingent. Things that are devoid of potentiality are what philosophers have called pure actuality. It cannot go from potentiality to actuality. So the first cause of the universe, a necessary being, is also 16, pure actuality, because the first cause is devoid of potentiality whatsoever. If it had any potentiality with regard to its existence, it would be possible for it not to exist. But this is precisely what a necessary existence cannot do. A pure actual being is immutable or unchanging. Furthermore, a necessary existence, therefore, would be 17 changeless. Why? Because whatever changes must have the potentiality for change. If change was impossible, then it would not change. But a necessary existence has no potentiality whatsoever because of its pure actuality. So it cannot change. 18. There can only be one necessary or pure actual being. A necessary existence is pure actuality by 16. What is pure actuality must be only one, since if there were two pure actual beings, then there would be some potentiality or limiting factor by which they differ. But in a being of pure actuality, there is no potential whatsoever. Hence, no real differentiation. So these are my list of attributes of the first cause of the universe. Actually, there are only 17 attributes because I counted both necessary and uncaused, though we now know a necessary being and an uncaused being are logically equivalent. I suspect other attributes may be equivalent to necessary as well like non-contingent and pure actuality. But I'll pursue that idea on some night when I don't sleep well. I ended my argument by proving that the first cause of the universe is identical to the God of the Bible. In the last episode, I said, all of the arguments for the existence of God throughout history 
have not gone as far as I have in my conclusions about the nature of the first cause of the universe. I have since read more carefully chapter 5 of Ed Fazer's book, Five Proofs of the Existence of God. I believe Dr. Fazer has also proved that the necessary being arrived at via the, the rationalist proof is a valid proof of the existence of the God of the Bible. There are some common key ideas in Ed Fazer's rationalist proof in chapter 5 of his book and my proof about the nature of the first cause of the universe. One, both of our proofs show that there is only one necessary being. Fazer's proof involves a defense of the principle of sufficient reason. I do not discuss that principle, but I accept the law of causality. Second, both of us use pure actuality to conclude there is only one necessary being. Third, Phaser also uses what he calls the principle of proportionate causality, which states that whatever is in an effect must be in the cause, insofar as a cause cannot give what it does not first have. I accepted this as an axiom from Rene Descartes. Fraser says this is commonly labeled the causal adequacy principle by Descartes scholars. That's on page 171 of his book. I want to recommend Ed Fraser's book to everyone, though, though it is challenging. In each of the first five chapters of his book, Fraser devotes to one of his proofs for the existence of God. Having presented these five proofs, Fazer moves on in chapter 6 to examine God's nature and the nature of his relationship to the world in which he is the cause. Chapter 7 addresses various criticisms of natural theology. He says, quote, By the end of chapter 7 and thus the end of the book, it will be clear that none of the objections against arguments in this book succeeds, and indeed that the most common objections are staggeringly feeble and overrated. He continues, A long line of thinkers from the beginnings of Western thought down to the present day have affirmed that God's existence can be rationally demonstrated by purely philosophical arguments. The aim of this book is to show that they were right, that what long was the mainstream position in Western thought ought to be the mainstream position again. So now we know that the God of the Bible really exists. Also, this finishes the 12 points that show Christianity is true. I started this some time ago in episodes 19, 20, 40, 41, and 42. Therefore, Jesus is the Son of God. The Bible is the Word of God. Miracles are the acts of God that confirm a message from God. And anything opposed to the Bible is false.
Every major worldview has something to say about God. Why? There are many reasons. One is, God is writing my story and your story. He is at the heart of everything. And we lose out if we do not see this. Therefore, we need to know more about his nature. And perhaps then we will come to embrace him. All except one of the major worldviews are off base when it comes to the nature of God. There are eight major worldviews. First, atheism, which claims there is no God and no miracles. Only the universe is eternal. The only religion proper to adhere to a form of atheism is Buddhism. Buddhism regards the existence of God as ultimately irrelevant. If God did exist, nothing about Buddhism would change. Two, agnosticism. The word agnostic means to have no knowledge. The word comes from the Greek a, meaning without, and gnosis, meaning knowledge. All of us would agree there are some things we don't know. You could say that this is weak agnosticism. On the other hand, the belief that one cannot, or at least does not, know reality, and most especially about God's existence, is hard agnosticism. There are multiple versions of agnosticism, but the jury is still out. No verdict has been arrived at yet. Third, polytheism. The view that there are many gods. The ancient Athenians were polytheists. Hindus have as many as 330 million deities. Mormonism believes people can become gods. Fourth, pantheism. Literally means all, pan, is God, theism. Theism is derived from the Greek word theos, meaning God. There are several different expressions of pantheism, but ultimately pantheism is described in the book Worlds Apart by Norman Geisler and William D. Watkins in this way. In pantheism, God is all in all. God pervades all things, contains all things, includes all things, and is found within all things. Nothing exists apart from God, and all things are in some way identified with God. In short, pantheism views the world as God and God as the world. I will continue my list of major worldviews in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. 
And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.